Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Product Strategy here at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for today's episode. Today, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Ross Cranwell. He is the CEO and founder of Milk Video, and he's just a passionate marketer, which is always one of my very favorite things to talk about, and someone who's got a lot of experience firsthand for his own self and company and also helping others in terms of helping ensuring that marketing is driving revenue and that it can really sort of measure and illustrate the sort of impact that they're having. So we are extremely, extremely excited to have you on here, Ross. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Ross, let's just help everyone who maybe hasn't had the pleasure of speaking with you before get a little bit better understanding of your background, how you got where you are today and why you are so passionate about what you do. Definitely. So I've been working in B2B marketing and marketing as a whole for about 15 years. So I started off actually in, in Shanghai, even though obviously I'm not from there, I'm from, from Dublin, Ireland, but worked in the B2C space for some, some early language learning software companies over there. Then came to New York about eight years ago and started working more in the B2B space. So I took that B2C kind of expertise of building out marketing teams and, and brought it to the B2B world. And then after a number of years working at a couple of organizations that were that were acquired um, by Chegg and Medallia and um, started my own business, co-founded a business. And uh, we went through a program, uh, Y Combinator, during COVID, basically helping B2B marketers to become more efficient with their content and basically taking webinar recordings and podcasts and repurposing them into different types of content assets. Because I saw from my experience that it was very difficult to do so because most marketers have a creative mindset, but don't necessarily have the video and design skills. So build something out there and I'm still running it today. Excellent. It is a product I've used and enjoyed. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So what we really want to focus on today is sort of buildings, marketing's credibility. And I think mm -hmm. one of the reasons it's so important is with credibility, right? It comes resources. And so let's talk a little bit about why do you think sometimes marketers and product marketers struggle with the, uh, with credibility? And then we can talk about like how we can make that better. Yeah. So, you know, from my experience working in the, the B2C space, you know, I was really excited working in the B2C area because marketing teams would drive direct revenue, you know, so you'd put out a, 
an email, an advertisement, and you would see, you know, sales conversions that, you know, helped your executive leadership team kind of succeed, your business succeed almost instantaneously. Moving into the B2B space, you know, I was like, okay, cool. This is, you know, a bit, a bit different, but I, I don't think I was ready for the, the slower sales cycle. Hmm. And so it wasn't as instantaneous. And as a result, the sales team, you know, what they were doing was much more influential to the bottom line, what the, maybe the leadership cared about more. And marketing is there to support them. Whilst if I look at the B2C space, we were sales and marketing together. Now we had to support the sales team. And so the challenge that I kind of saw was that because marketing is, is ultimately supporting that revenue, sometimes they get overlooked in, in terms of resources as everything has to focus, of course, on the bottom line. So would love to yeah, kind of discuss areas of where I think marketing could, could improve on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest difference, right? With B2B, what we've done is inserted a sales team in that process to the revenue, mm-hmm. right? Which is, ne- it's not like, a, oh no, they're, it's necessary. They're great partners. They're super important, but it does make it a little bit harder to show your influence directly on the revenue, right? Right. So how do you show impact, right? So as marketers, you know, you're creative with all these different solutions to helping the company and, you know, some of it's like top of the funnel stuff, like thought leadership on LinkedIn, but you don't see those results for potentially months, you know, even though the, the deals are huge. And, and then at the end, you're trying to tie that, the results back, right? So the salesperson will close the deal and then you're trying to attribute, oh yeah, you know, they, they saw, they went to our event, they went, they saw our content and it's very messy. And sometimes stuff, you know, if it's brand related, there's no way to track that. Mm-hmm. So it can be quite frustrating, I find, for marketing to be able to showcase exactly the direct results, especially when I compare it to B2C. So what are some of the things that you would tell marketers or that you've learned in your own career as you moved into B2B? Yeah. So I think the biggest learning I had was starting this business myself and working on sales more, right? So because as, a, as an early stage founder, you have to do sales yourself. And I, yeah. <laughs> I had no experience whatsoever. Probably, you know, probably the worst person to choose to do this because I like to be behind the scenes and stuff. So I had to put my face front and center. And I would never do demos at the previous companies with our sales teams. And by doing that, I kind of saw how, one, how difficult it is for sales. So even more respect than I had before for what they do. And I just saw how important the marketing team is to help kind of bring in those leads or to give that visibility and that credibility and the trust and the web, everything kind of ties in. But really, you know, my kind of thought and learning was that really for marketers, B2B marketers to really help the sales team and drive revenue, you know, they have to be really involved. And I think a lot of people talk about sales and marketing alignment and yeah, that's a very vague kind of statement. Like, I nearly think marketers, if they haven't done it already, should just go in and do the demos maybe with the, the salespeople. And they may not be a perfect salespeople because the salespeople obviously are very professionals in that space, but they need to experience firsthand what the salesperson is going through, how they're pitching, the objections, the challenges, all those stresses that come with salespeople's jobs. And marketers need to be much more aware of that. So Sometimes marketers would say, oh, you know, we've done all these things, you know, we've done all these social posts and all these emails and sent over all these leads and sales are like, yeah, they're like, they're kind of useless. And only when you put your, you know, yourself in, in their shoes, do you understand why they have very tough targets to meet. And then they're under a lot of pressure and they have to use their time very wisely. 
and they're often getting a lot of rejections. So to deal with a really low potential lead that's worth a thousand dollars when you're trying to close a hundred thousand dollar deals and, and you don't get commissions, it's crucial for marketing to really understand that rather than just go like, ah, oh, you know, they didn't follow up with that lead that I sent them, you know. Yeah, because I think it's really important in B2B that you embrace sales as a partner, not as a block. And that also means to really do that. I think there's a level of empathy that you can, and understanding that you can get by participating, right? To your point of understanding, man, this is way harder than it looks. It also helps in the way we give messages to sales. When we see what they're juggling when they're on a call or with a client, and when we're seeing that, it helps us understand that, oh gosh, when I send them those big, you know, digests of information, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be something they can leverage quickly. Let me think about how I'm providing tools for them and for the customers in a way that's more reflective of the reality of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it can be hard to find, you know, marketing, I, you know, was always trying to supply, supply, supply. And you're not always going to hit the mark in terms of what they want, right? You may give them like testimonials or case studies and sales sequences. And then they're like, yeah, they didn't, they don't use any of them, but you know, you you can't give up on that. You just got to continue to try to support them understanding, you know, when they're on those calls with those people and they're getting objections or rejections and stuff, it's tough for them. You know, marketing has a very consistent kind of very in control thing. They can send out emails, they can post stuff and they get like data and, you're doing with like a couple of sales calls a day or, and people are saying, yeah, yeah, I, we've just, you know, we've, you've spent three months working on this deal and we're not interested anymore. You're like, oh God, Ooh, that's, yeah. like, that's a hit, mm-hmm. you know, and marketing doesn't feel that hit sales feels that hit. So, yeah. So I, I would just, I think again, I think we, we talk a lot about like aligning the two, but I think marketing kind of to gain that credibility, if that's kind of the goal is you get even in even deeper, if sales are willing to obviously participate and, and work together on that. Yeah. It also gives you the chance to really see the customers firsthand um, yeah. in that environment, right? Again, so you bring an understanding of the sales team and of the market and the customers in helping you define not just the tools that you build, but then how you talk about them and their impact. Yeah. Yeah. So it's even if you just sit on those and not just sit on those calls, participate in those calls in some shape or fashion. And then at worst, you're just learning like, what is this? What does the ICP want? And who is not our ICP, right? So if you find out, you get on this call, and you're like, yeah, I set this one up for you. It's brilliant. And, and then they're like, yeah, you know, completely the wrong target market. You can take that back and you're like, okay, let me revisit like the content we're sending out because we're off the mark here. We should really be focusing somewhere else. But, you know, I, in my previous B2B roles, I wouldn't sit on calls um, that much and even listening to recordings afterwards and stuff. It's, it's, it's good. It's just better to be there in the present and really mm-hmm. preferably you can team up with one or, or multiple salespeople and hopefully find a way that, that, uh, that you can help them. Nice. All right. So I think, I mean, I think that's just good advice and, and it helps you understand, especially if you're moving from a B2C to B2B. Yeah. I also think though, there are probably other lessons that you learned in B2C that you bring to your B&B life as a, a marketer. And I think sometimes in B2B marketing, we forget that behind the companies that buy are individuals who are buying. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love, I'd love to talk a little bit broader too about some of the other <laughs> sort of lessons that people may think of as more traditionally B2C focused that you really think can be very well leveraged in a B2B environment. Yeah. Going from the B2C space, I was surprised at the limited amount of things that B2B kind of do you know, from your events to direct mail, some old school stuff, but they work, you know, 
And in general, I guess the way I kind of approached it was like, if say, for example, a conference is a kind of classic thing that people attend or to do a way to drive demand or, or to kind of engage with your audience, I kind of like dove very deep into those efforts, those campaigns, and then did like a million different things around it. So for example, so if, if we were going to visit a, go to a, a conference in Florida or something like that, we would go very deep and like try to create like experiences for everyone who'd come to our booth and do even like, you know, things like book signings to a lot of like social stuff, a lot of the happy hours and all these different types of things that probably we would have done more in the B2C space. So yeah, I mean, I guess I just, just, just took a lot of the, you know, there were a lot of uh, things you could do in the, in the B2C space. And I think it's a bit more limited in B2B, but you can dive very deep into what you know works. And in, in-person stuff works really well. Webinars work really well. So just double down on those and bring in some of the more creative things and bring that creativity in there. You guys can't see this, but Ross is being very, <laughs> my cat is all over us at the moment, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, tails are showing. It's all, it's all exciting. Um, one of the things you talked about, Ross, that I think is, I think there's a couple areas that you talked about there that are really good lessons to leverage B2C practices for the yeah. B2B world. You talked a little bit about sort of personalization or customization mm-hmm. for things. I think that's something we're very used to seeing like, you know, B2C marketers using all of our information and our behaviors to segment and make it customized. I think that Mm -hmm. things like that or things about different tools like videos that we use so much in our personal lives, those things start to really become expectations in our B2B buying behaviors as well. Like I now absolutely expect organizations to know me that are my vendors or Mm -hmm. my potential vendors in a different way. And I think those are some exciting areas that, that... not exist in B2B, but definitely had sort of their start in B2C and maybe B2C is a little further along that yeah. we can we can leverage uh, guess, tools and stuff yeah. like that. I guess the other thing I thought about as I as I moved from B2C to B2B was just that a lot of B2B can be quite boring. Yeah. And B2C is very exciting, right? You have your whatever, your makeup brand or your your shoe brand, whatever. There's loads of things you can do and influencers and superstars and stuff like that. And and B2B it's a bit tricky. But one thing that like people I've I've seen like in the B2B space, they think that because the product may be a bit more, you know, a little less interesting, whatever, that they just use these classic kind of language and classic formats and stuff like that. If we talk about the idea that they are people, break it up and make it more just digestible, more easy to consume. What are all the, these trends that are, you know, that from, from your, your TikToks to your bite-sized emails and things like that, it, it's all just like very digestible and easy to consume. But if you have a really heavy product and then you're just sending everyone like a 30-minute demo or you're, you're just doing very heavy kind of lifts for these people, that, that's tough. But if you break up the product, like to our product, we break up the, the video into, into GIFs. Mm-hmm. or like little micro design, just make it a little bit more engaging. That tends to work well. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, I was working for a contact center software company, a customer service software company, and we would talk about the solution as a whole and do advertising through LinkedIn, which is the, you know, our, our main platform. And, and it wouldn't really resonate. But then I started breaking it up into its different components, doing features around the gamification side, um, doing other features around the analytics side and, and hooking people on the very interesting parts, the very interesting features that I know would kind of pique their interest and that worked so much better. Nothing very innovative there, just mm-hmm. that 
breaking it up more into something that your humans can digest and, and are interested in. On the flip side, I don't know if you want to go too like try to say that your your B2B brand is going to be the most the coolest brand in the world. <laughs> I don't think that works. Yeah. Just make it just make it engaging enough, you know, that you would be interested in consuming it. But don't pretend that you're cool or something like that. I don't know. That doesn't really work for me. It has to be authentic, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it Correct. needs to, yes, truly needs to be authentic. Just like um, if you're sw- swinging on the pen- pendulum, like, yeah, just like, don't go too, don't be so damn boring and, and, and don't be, don't pretend to be cool. Just right. make it easy for people to, to consume. Yeah, Absolutely. So one of the other things, I guess we talk about the things that you can leverage from, from B2C to B2B, mm. we get the sort of the, the classic marketing paradox, right? Like there is no shortage of ideas. There is no shortage of things that we would like to be able to do that we think we could have influence. Then it becomes a matter of both efficiency and prioritization, right? So if you're trying to like boil the ocean, I mean, this is another thing that I know you've worked yeah. on in your career and with your product that like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rebecca and Ross. It's great. There's more ideas here. I need help getting through even those. So what, what are some advice and tools you'd recommend there? So sorry, tools around... Just ways when someone has, again, with the idea that there's always so much for marketing to do. And mm-hmm. if we're going to try and do as much of that as possible, how do we both prioritize the right things and how do we do those things sort of more efficiently to give us more bandwidth to do additional items? Yeah, definitely. After speaking to, I think around over the last couple of years, about 700 different B2B marketers from mainly the US, but, but around the world, the challenge I see is no matter, even if your teams are pretty, companies are pretty big, the marketing teams are very under-resourced. And this feeds into that concept of the credibility because you're trying to do so much, trying to boil the ocean, um, trying to support sales, trying to drive demand, trying to improve your brand, trying to help the CEO, trying to do design. It's very overwhelming and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. So what I've seen work for other companies and, and ourselves is, yeah, prioritizing kind of where you know, if you think sales as a key thing as to supporting them as a, an initial kind of focus, where are they going to be happiest, you know, and they obviously want leads and and quality leads and quality accounts to kind of come in the door, where are you going to get the, the fastest results and to, to satisfy them. And probably your starting point would be around a physical event. And it doesn't have to be a conference. It can be like a, a round table, bringing in the right accounts in there. It's actually quite simple, a, a light lift and really valuable, taking in marketing principles of adding value, a round table, you're, you're discussing different topics, in the networking, it's brilliant. Start there. You don't have to recreate the wheel, but taking your marketing creativity around that round table, you can bring in cool guests, you can have fun stuff, you can have fun branding. So starting with events, then, okay, how do you scale those things? then maybe, you know, your, your virtual events. So, so your webinars. So the reason we created this business around repurposing webinars as an initial starting point was because I saw that we were able to get a high volume of quality leads that mm. sales was actually happy with. So we were able to drive demand that then converted and you could actually track. And so you can do the same with events. You can do the same with webinars and podcasts kind of fit in there too. So prioritization on what's going to move stuff to, you know, the bottom of the funnel, but can also work as top of the funnel because you can promote this stuff through LinkedIn about your upcoming roundtable or your upcoming webinar or your upcoming podcast. It's, it's great for visibility. It's your CEO can promote it. You can create ads around it, but you do know that when the, <laughs> your report comes at the end of the year and it's like, Hey, look at, look at our success. Like how much have you contributed to our bottom line? 
you can tie those campaigns in Salesforce or HubSpot to, um, you say, we did this very tight event or, or webinar or podcast. And it's like, here are the clear metrics. So yeah, a roundabout way to kind of saying like, yeah, prioritizing around stuff that you know will work and then kind of working off there. And this is why I believe in like kind of doubling down on, on these campaigns and, and then getting creative outside of that. I also think one of the things you talked about there too is like not only doubling down on those, but then like talking about the results, right? It's not bragging, it's not going thing, but like communicating when programs are successful and are delivering leads and are converting, making sure that we communicate that loudly and clearly is not all, we're not always the best marketers of ourselves. Yeah. And I think the sales sales team do much better at that, you know, especially back in the office days where there would be bangs of the gong and screams across and clangs and stuff like that. And marketing would just be there huddled in the corner. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think the best kind of what, yes, it's talking about successes and and sharing those. I think there's two ways you can also get uh, buy-in without, or, you know, promotion without necessarily saying it yourself is working closely with the sales team and where they're like, dude, like we close this deal, but like, thanks to X person. And I know they were always very happy with event coordination, all that complicated stuff. And then the CEO, right. Or, or the executive leadership. If you are providing thought leadership content and working closely with the, the CEO and stuff, they know that some of that stuff may not always have, you know, very clear ROI, but that visibility that gets them top of mind for other people to have higher level conversations is, is very valuable and, and they'll be thankful for that. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a large part about not neglecting the people in the organization that you really need to support your executive leadership and then your sales team. Cool. All right, Ross, we talked about lots of different things today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were going to have listeners do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would you want yeah. it to be? I would love for marketers to, even if they're, they're in a company for being in there for, for a while, is to get involved in a, in a couple of sales demos and, and commit to it. Not just listen in, just go and partner up and like plan the, the demo, like literally kind of shadowing, I guess, a, a few demos, maybe over the course of a month, four demos and doing it properly and pretending that they're actually on the, on the hook for them. Mm-hmm. I think that would be uncomfortable for a lot of people. And that means that you're learning and you're actually going to be, you're, because it was incredibly uncomfortable for me. Right. Still is, it is still is to this day, but I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have understood it. I think that's the, the, my biggest takeaway. I can't really think of a second. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? That's a really good one though. And I think the lessons <laughs> that they'll get from that are wide ranging. So Awesome. All right, Ross, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about Milk or follow you, where would you send them? Um, they can just connect with me on LinkedIn. So Ross Cranwell under LinkedIn or search for Milk Milk Video. You'll, you'll find me and uh, would love to chat open for a coffee or anything like that. Excellent. All right. Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.